You're listening to Understanding Disordered Eating with Rachel Heinemann. I'm a licensed mental health counselor and certified eating disorder specialist. On this weekly podcast, we talk about all things psychoanalysis and eating disorder recovery. It's a combination of interviews with experts in psychoanalysis and eating disorders and some solo episodes where it will just be the two of us. The goal of the podcast is to help you try to understand a little bit more about yourself, gain a deeper understanding for why you do the things you do, and bring you one step closer to a healthier relationship with food and yourself. Hey, 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 episode 106 with Jennifer Neely, and we're talking about dreams. Now, before I jump into a little bit more about Jennifer and our conversation, I have some exciting news to share. I've been working on a guide for you all to start taking a little bit more of what we talk about on the podcast and put it into a little bit more practical use for your life. So I created a journal prompting exercise that you can grab on my website, like a little pop-up situation comes in. And you can follow the prompts on the exercise and then go through all the journal prompts and then work through a whole bunch of just sort of like first steps into learning a little bit more about you, your relationship with food, and what we call the deeper meaning of all of it. So a little bit about Jennifer. Jennifer is a psychotherapist, psychoanalyst in private practice in New York City. So she's an LCSWR with decades of experience in the field. She is an instructor and training analyst at National Psychological Association for Psychoanalysis, mouthful, we call it NPAP and has taught dream interpretation at NPAP, the Philadelphia School of Psychoanalysis and Blanton Peel Graduate Institute. So if you have been trained analytically in the city, you know what I'm talking about. Otherwise, just really cool institutes. Jennifer is basically the dream person. So obviously, if we wanted to talk about dream analysis, then Jennifer was the person I was going to go to. Our conversation is absolutely incredible. When you think about putting it as an add-on to understanding a little bit more of the deeper meaning of really your life, for sure your relationship with food, but your life in general. So first we go through how to even understand how dreams can be helpful. If we can talk about it, dream analysis sounds like really archaic and very Freudian, although a lot of this is rooted in Freud. It's something that for us modern day people, if we have never laid down on the couch once or we don't subscribe to psychoanalysis whatsoever, it's something that's really, really helpful when thinking about the dreams that either we keep having or just a dream that we remember because it is instrumental in trying to get to what's really underneath a lot of things. Like we talked about how this is the royal road to the unconscious, one of my favorite lines, and is such a fascinating way to understand the intricate mechanisms in our mind that are trying to navigate ambivalence and desire, which obviously is really connected with the relationship with food. So before I start rambling too much about the conversation, let's just listen to the conversation with Jennifer. All right, Jennifer, I'm so excited about this episode. You know this and people can't see me, but I'm like actually giddy about this. Dreams have always been something that I am absolutely fascinated by for so many reasons. I think mostly because they're mystifying and there's like a mystery attached to it. And and what does it mean? And they're so weird. Uh, And so many times they're funny and quirky and they make so much sense when we're dreaming and then we wake up and they make absolutely no sense. And I know that a lot of people 
uh, try to understand. Like there's got to be something to it as opposed to just like, oh, a dream at night and then you just wake up and it means nothing. But maybe we can start a little bit from like the beginning. What is the significance of dreams? How can we use it in trying to understand ourselves? Historically, there's been a big debate, right? In Vienna, in Freud's time, they said, Schlama sind Schama, which means dreams are just froth. <laughs> froth. Interesting. Froth. So nothing to it. <laughs> yeah. But Freud said no. From the depths of our being comes a message. Pay attention. That's ominous. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and not necessarily a message. It can be joyous, right? Things are changing. You're on a new road. You're setting sail on a new ship. Whatever the image is in the dream can have import that's not necessarily ominous. But it does come as a, a message from the unconscious. And I think Freud would say that dreams do not concern themselves with triviality. So again, pay attention. It may seem like Hold on a second. So what, what does he mean by trivialities? Well, in order to have enough psychic energy to generate a dream, there has to be a conflict or concern in the dreamer that is great enough to expend the energy. Mm-hmm. So if it's just like, what am I making for dinner? What do I have to do today? And it doesn't really concern us deeply, we're not dreaming about it. Right. Although it looks like it. I mean, you you may actually be cooking dinner in the dream, mm-hmm. but it's not about the manifest. It's about the latent conflict. And the latent conflict has to have a lot of energy. It, you know, happy anticipation can be energy. Mm-hmm. Grief, longing. Longing is a big one. So if dreams don't concern us, don't concern themselves with triviality, that means that anything that we dream about is probably quite important and maybe not exactly in the form that we dream it in. Is that correct grammar? Who cares? But there's something significant about the dream, especially when we remember it. Well, you know, actually, I have a question about that. I'm assuming we all dream all the time. We don't necessarily remember it. So what's the significance when we remember versus when we don't? The conflict is even greater and the unconscious Uh, really wants to underscore and make a point. Okay, so there's underscore again, there's something really, really significant if you're dreaming about it and you're remembering it. Mm -hmm. Okay. And I will add an asterisk and say that for people who are in a dream analysis, they may be trying to give a message to their analyst, right? If you know Mm -hmm. in the morning you're going to tell your husband your dream or your parent your dream, you may actually dream a message to the recipient. Oh, that is so sneaky. How do we know? (laughs) Oh my God. (laughs) Well, the conflict is there, right? Wow. Okay. So this is a a lot more complicated than we might think. You know, I'm thinking about sort of the, the pop culture, for lack of a better term, way to understand dreams. And there's been so many books written about dreams not so much from an analytic perspective, but more so like, oh, if you dream that you your teeth are falling out, this is what it means. And if you dream that you, 
have to go to the bathroom. Like, this is what it means. And, you know, is there validity to that? And why is that or not? Two double asterisks, right? There are green symbol books. You can Google what does the color yellow in a dream mean? And mm-hmm. if <laughs> Google in the United States comes up, right? Yellow usually what means jealousy. Oh, right. Interesting. Right. I'm yellow with jealousy. Or green huh, I thought it was green. Oh, okay. Yellow is jealousy. Green is envy. Sure. So these dream symbolism books work for the culture you're in. Mm-hmm. I do a lot of cross mm. cultural work. And so I try to stay with the dreamers associations rather than impose cultural implications. So it really varies. And I, I don't think one size fits all. I do think mm-hmm. knowing something like, yes, Green with envy is an idiomatic expression in English. So to know those idioms and also the physiological correlations, because that's we all blush, Mm -hmm. that that may be cross-cultural. But to better understand the symbolism in a dream, I think you have to ask the dreamer because they are the expert on what it means to them. So you're saying it's not that Google, etc. is wrong. It's more so that there's, it's a generalization about dream interpretation that cannot possibly be accurate for everybody because each person has their own set of, I mean, literally everything. And so when each individual is dreaming, it's going to have a different meaning for each individual because of that. And so if somebody wants to Google it, sure. But what I'm hearing you say is that the most significant piece that we look out for is the person's associations. Absolutely. Can you say more about what that is? I'd like to add that dreams are multiply determined, can have many meanings, Mm. right? So you can be red-faced with embarrassment. You can also be red-faced with anger. Totally. Right? So the dreamer's associations could be to, I don't know, (laughs) a, a mask. Halloween masks since it was just Halloween, <laughs> right? The devil, red-faced devil. Mm. Um, we don't know without asking. Mm-hmm. So for somebody who's never heard of the idea of associations because they didn't listen to episode two or three, what is that? So, you know, the idea of free association comes from the idea that associations are not free that there is psychical determinism, that the unconscious has a whole set of series of associations to everything. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Because that's how we are, the neuroscience says, we are meaning-making beings and the way we make meaning is by linking ideas, images, feelings. So just uh, to put it, kind of simply, which it's not, an association is is a link. So what is the link that your brain makes with this? And then also not necessarily links that make sense just yet, but just what is the automatic next place it goes? Well, it depends on the dreamer's history of experiences. How do you mean? So the link is forged 
by life experience. Mm-hmm. The baby has no association, cries out, the need is met. Mm-hmm. The need is met with mother's milk. That gets linked to the feeling of closeness, of warmth, of maybe the sound of her voice. Mm-hmm. All of those are intertwined of associations so that later when you have a cup of milk, you may feel the sense of warmth and security and comfort inexplicably, right? You're grown up mm-hmm. what it was. Right. It's not like that's a, it's a conscious thing that you're thinking of. It's just sort of something that ends up together. It's linked. Mm-hmm. And then later as an adult, you may be lactose intolerant. And then the, the feeling is also corresponded with pain. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's so interesting. I love that you're giving this particular example, especially because the show's about our relationship with food in essence and trying to understand it. And if we think about this separate from dreams, really just in general, that we have associations to different foods and different food experiences, it could also be very complex in that maybe originally it was a really positive, warm experience. And then perhaps it was made complicated because Maybe there was more of a negative experience attached to it, especially when someone has an eating disorder and and perhaps something was like really nice, a great memory. And now it's attached to this tumultuous relationship with food that a lot of the way that we interact with food has a lot to do with our associations, but maybe those are not quite conscious just yet. So this is great to really think about expanding our way of thinking beyond dreams. So how... Would somebody go about, say they have a dream or maybe a series of dreams, whether it's something that's repetition or different dreams, if they're trying to understand it, how would they begin to go about doing so? Well, I really put in a plug for the dream journal. It's an age old Mm -hmm. tried and true method. So first you write down the dream as best you can remember it, Mm -hmm. then go through element by element. I dreamt I was at the stove cooking. Which house, which stove, what does stove mean to you? What does cooking mean to you? And then anything from the day before inform Mm. the dream. Oh, I really did stand at the stove cooking. I don't know. (laughs) Unfortunately, that's an everyday thing. Yeah, yeah, that's certainly (laughs) going to happen. (laughs) So what happened, well, so that's called the day's residue. Mm -hmm. And usually that is an indicator of the conflict. There's something charged in the day's residue. Something about it had meaning. And if you can Mm -hmm. follow that to get to the conflict, that can be helpful. Um, Sometimes the pictorial images lead to a better understanding of the conflict. Sometimes there's a pun. Means we're witty even when we're not super conscious. <laughs> the unconscious loves a good pun. That's pretty funny, actually. It, it's a very funny. So I'm assuming this is also where metaphors come in. And when things aren't necessarily what they seem, mm-hmm. perhaps the dream is very surface level. I'm cooking at the stove and I'm making dinner or whatever it is, like mundane tasks. But to think about it, like, I think there's a little bit more complexity. There's probably a pun. There's probably some metaphors in there. It's a lot richer than just whatever you remember. 
Well, and again, dream can have some horrifying images. And the feeling in the dream can be completely dispassionate or amused or Mm -hmm. apathetic. And so I think that the feeling in the dream is also another clue to understanding the essential conflict. Freud would talk about the idea of a nodal conflict or the navel of the dream, the belly button. Mm. What is (laughs) that? He conceptualizes the central conflict as the navel. Mm -hmm. And all of the associations spiral out. Hmm. And for analysts who are just beginning to do dream analysis, I, I try to offer them the comforting thought that the theory goes, if you choose any one of the images on the spiral of association anywhere in the dream, the stove, by following the associations, you will get to the navel of the dream. Mm. Or you will get to the navel as close as possible to be able to make an interpretation. For it does talk about there's some element of the dream that remains hidden, that remains unknowable, because the theory goes that the dream harkens back present-day situations to earlier conflicts, to infantile conflicts around our essential needs, possibly, infantile needs and wishes being met. We might not have an actual conscious memory of that, but it's in our cellular memory. Mm-hmm. So almost similar, maybe in more of a fast track sort of way, but similar to what happens in more of an analytic therapy or in an analysis is that revolving around conflict, whether it's daily, whatever is going on now or ambivalence or something that it traces back to whenever in, you know, in our history. So that could be 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 60 years ago. But there's something about the conflict that happens or the lack of a resolution of something that continues to surface that might stay unconscious and we try to get there. But what I'm hearing, and correct me if I'm wrong, what what I'm hearing also is that the dream is like the fast track. This is the, what is that thing in (laughs) Disney? I don't know if it's still called that fast pass. Um, I don't know. Maybe I'm dating myself. This is like two two decades ago. (laughs) But like you get on, you get the fast pass. And if you can really tap into all of these associations and wherever you pick on this spiral, if you can get close enough to the navel conflict, then you can get at some of like real core issues. Yes. For right, it was the royal road, the road that was paved, smooth, so that you can get to your destination in the most direct way possible. Yes. Yeah, that's a good quote. The Royal Road to the Unconscious, which I absolutely love because it is so spot on. So there are obviously very different types of dreams out there. And I don't know if there's any significance in that. But first, can you just share like what are the types of dreams that are out there? Or even just like some examples you can think of? I think the example that the two that Roy talks about are the wish fulfillment dream and the um the punishment dream hmm. where you know you deserve to be punished for something and the wish is to be punished. Interesting. So the premise Freud asserts is that all dreams are wish fulfillment dreams, even if you're getting punished. 
wish fulfillment, meaning we want something and it's happening in the dream. Correct. Okay. That in the dream, the, the wish is being represented as fulfilled. Okay. So wow. the infant or the child, and in the interpretation of dreams, Freud offers his daughter Anna's dream of she was sent to bed without dinner because she had a stomach bug. In the morning, she woke up and she said, she was very happy. And she said, Anna, pudding and strawberries. And it was clear that in the dream she had had the night before, she had dreamt of all of her favorite foods and she wasn't hungry mm-hmm. anymore. <laughs> so that's, that is the wish fulfilled. Mm-hmm. As adults, we have ambivalence. And the idea that we can have our wish and have it be fulfilled and it still be wrong mm-hmm. or forbidden, something fearful is a way of releasing tension, right? So that we can think better during the day. So it can be a relief or a comfort. I think the other one is the anxiety dream that people often think of taking a test, mm-hmm. the examination dream where they fail or they're Freud was terrible at um physics and he always dreamt about taking a history test never failing the physics test because he knew he could pass the history test he was good at history Mm -hmm. (laughs) so the idea in the dream you face this uh examination with anxiety And you can comfort yourself when you wake up by saying, oh, it was just a dream. And, oh, I've already passed my high school history test. Mm -hmm. I already aced that. And usually people who have examination dreams wake up before they get the grade or wake up before the exam Mm -hmm. bell goes off, right? The anxiety is so intense. And before that would be a failed dream. I don't like that language. Because mm-hmm. the other objective of a dream is to protect sleep. Huh. How do you mean? Well, probably all had the experience of having to go to the bathroom. Yeah. And instead of waking up, you think, oh, I'm at the Tripoli Fountain in Italy. Uh-huh. <laughs> you think about water or your, your Freud's example of a medical student whose landlady was trying to wake him up to go to a hospital. The dreamer dreamt that he was a patient in the hospital, meaning Mm -hmm. that he was already at the hospital and he didn't Mm -hmm. have to go to rounds and he could sleep another two minutes. So that's so interesting. (laughs) Yeah. The idea is dreams protect sleep. If you wake up in the middle of an anxiety dream, then it means that the dream has failed for Freud. I think it just still has meaning. Mm hmm. Yeah, well, maybe failed in the sense that it didn't keep you asleep as wanted to, but definitely not failed in any other way. I would add that people who have endured severe trauma oftentimes relive the traumatic event in their dreams. Mm -hmm. And I would suggest that that's a symptom of PTSD and that there is something powerful in working with the dream in as much as paying attention to the slight variations from night to night. Hmm. Because 
the psychic structure seeks to heal itself. Mm -hmm. And so if you can pay attention to what starts to change over time, you're in a burning house one night. You're in a burning house and you found a blanket that you can throw over your head the second night. Right? Something shifts that in the dream, hopefully, there are more resources available. You're in a burning house. You find a fire extinguisher third night. It's hard to bear witnessing a traumatic event over and over. Mm -hmm. And I would uh, suggest to people who are in that experience that there's, there's an attempt here at mastery and confidence, mm -hmm. of getting over what was formerly overwhelming. So again, like not necessarily consciously, but our brain is trying to heal itself. So whether we like it or not, whether we go to therapy or analysis or not, it is trying to do it. And so if we can get on board and try to help it, then maybe it'll be in our best interest. I'm not sure you can help it, but you can pay attention. Yeah, well, I guess that's <laughs> what I mean by helping it. If we pay attention and we talk about it, or at least we keep a dream journal um, when we want to try to understand it and think about our associations and what conflict might be connected, all of that can be a way of utilizing our dreams to be able to help us further, as opposed to just being like, well, that was weird. Next. Absolutely. Absolutely. The other dream that you mentioned earlier was the repetitive dream, the one about teeth falling out. Hmm. Because we've all had that experience, teeth changing into adult teeth. Mm -hmm. Right? In the dream guidebooks, it says it's about transition. Mm -hmm. Maybe. I just want to say that, you know, the same dreamer can have the same dream at different times in their lives and it can have different meanings. Yeah. So sure, it can be a, a transition. You, you have it in elementary school, you're changing schools. It happens again when you go off to college, changing schools, but also stepping in to do a different role in your life. You have it mm -hmm. in mid-life because things aren't changing but you are. Yes. Right? Something's different. Mm -hmm. So again, paying attention to the feeling in the dream, the day's residues and inform and interpretations. It's vastly different than what a, a teeth falling out dream might have meant when you were eight. Yeah. Yeah, that's for sure. So you're talking about, I guess, sort of a pretty general way to uh, at least start to understand our dreams. So keeping a dream journal and writing down each of the elements and trying to think of our associations and perhaps go even further with each association. It's funny because I sometimes refer to the game of telephone that we used to play when we were kids and you whisper to the next person, you know, let's say I say chair and, and you say, you can't think, you just have to say whatever comes to mind. So you say table to the next person. And if you're working with, let's say 12 kids and the last person says, what they thought. And it can be wildly different from the first, but that was each person's association. So when you say association, I think of the telephone game. But I think also just another thing to keep in mind, and this is something that I tell people all the time, the associations are, associations are not necessarily something that fit together just yet. 
Uh, in terms of like putting pieces together, we can do that later, but associations are just like, what is linked? What is the next thing? But are there any other ways to think about dream interpretation? Perhaps, you know, thinking about, I mean, I, I guess just sort of in general, are there any other ways to think about how we can understand dreams uh, as opposed to just the associations? Oh, you're talking about the mechanism of understanding them or the bigger context. Well, anything. I guess what I'm thinking is this sounds like a pretty good way to start. And I can think about I was cooking dinner at the stove and this is what happened and this is what happened. But is there any way to think about things even more creatively? I think something that we were talking about before was something about you being each part of the dream. Just different creative ways of thinking about our dreams. There is a theory of dream interpretation that uh, the dreamer is represented uh, in every aspect of the dream. So if you are dreaming about cooking dinner at the stove, you are the stove, you are the pot, you are the spoon that's stirring the pot. Not so much at granular level, but every element (laughs) in the dream is a reflection of an aspect of the dreamer is a helpful lens to look at it, right? Mm -hmm. It, it can be a communication to the receiver of the dream. It can also be um, a communication from the depths of the dreamers unconscious to themselves. Young adds, and I'm not 100% sure that it is a communication to a greater societal. Oh, that's big. <laughs> it's very big. So I throw that out there, that there's something important communally for us to pay Mm -hmm. attention to in a dream and that it has or may have new information Mm -hmm. for our community. Yeah. What also I'm getting at in all of these different ways of thinking, especially if we're thinking about every single element of a dream and some dreams are extremely complex, is that there's no one right way to do this. And there's no one interpretation of a dream, even if we're saying there's a conflict Um, But depending on from which angle we look at this or where we choose to begin, there's probably so much that we can get out of a dream and you're not doing it wrong if you choose this thing or that thing. That's correct. But I do think that if you're really in it, there's an element of surprise. Hmm. I didn't expect that. That's for sure. Yeah. I don't think we mentioned before, but a question that I ask almost like initially or or towards the beginning, if any of my people are talking about dreams is what's the feeling in the dream? And I wonder if you can talk to some of that because I think that's a little bit more close to our emotional experience as opposed to just each specific aspect of the dream. Like why would that be significant to think about? Uh, Just so you know, there's a controversy in the field that sometimes the feeling in the dream is also obscured. Oh, of course. Yeah. So, but I do think that sometimes the feeling in the dream is absolutely relevant. Again, it's it's from the depths of the unconscious. Hey, you might be feeling angry, sad, blue. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I guess the, the question of what was your emotional experience in the dream, especially as it relates to certain elements, is is probably just another detail of an element. So for example, if you're experiencing or, or you're witnessing whatever the word is when you're dreaming, 
uh, more horrific event and you're Mm -hmm. happy and excited, then that's a significant element of the dream that's worthwhile to note. Yes. And the idea is that there is a conflict. There is a wish and there is some sort of psychical prohibition against the wish. Mm -hmm. Like I'm not allowed to want that. You're not allowed to want that. And so the unconscious Mm -hmm. goes to extraordinary lengths to disguise the prohibited wish. Mm -hmm. So one of the tricks the unconscious plays is reversal. You're witnessing a horrific event. You feel happy. That's reversal. Mm. That's part of the disguise. So... If someone's falling, falling in the dream and it feels horrific, flipping the manifest content to understand the latent content, mm-hmm. you're flying, flying, flying. No wonder you're happy. Oh, interesting. So there's got to be, or at least often, there are two sides to it. I want this, but I also want the opposite. And so... Wanting the opposite or, or wanting one is something that we don't consciously allow ourselves to want. And so in the dream, there is no, oh, we can't feel that or think that or want that. It sort of comes out. And so it's important for us to think about flip sides because there probably is almost always the other side, maybe the darker side. Oh, absolutely. What is standing in the way of getting the gratification of having the wish fulfilled. Yeah. So I guess with the last few minutes, I wanted to ask you if we can do something fun. Because I know that we were talking about Tony Soprano when we were chatting. And he's an interesting guy, you know, shares a dream. And I wonder if we can go through that even ever so... um, in like a shallow, not a shallow way, but not necessarily in super depth. But I want—I wonder if we can use it as an example of what we would do with uh, trying to understand a dream. So you're talking about Tony Soprano's first dream with Dr. Melfi? Is that the one that you were referring to when we spoke? Probably. Probably. No, so it's important that the first dream in an analysis holds a special place. And what I mean by that is it predicts the course of the treatment. Oh my God. No pressure. (laughs) So again, I just said double after it, that the um, dream can be a communication to the recipient. In the case of Tony Soprano and Dr. Melfi, Tony comes in with this crazy dream about a family of ducks that had landed in his swimming pool. Mm -hmm. And he links the dream to the panic attack that he had that was the presenting problem that brought him into treatment. Mm -hmm. It was when the ducks all flew off that caused the panic. In the dream, Tony has a Phillips head screwdriver and is unscrewing his belly button and his penis falls off. A water bird takes his penis and flies off with it. Certainly, it's possible to interpret that as a fear of castration. But Dr. Melfi goes in a different direction and tries to get to the associations with the water bird, the idea that it's a duck, the idea that it was the presenting problem 
that the ducks all flew away. And what she does with it, and this is Hollywood, I don't think it really happens exactly like this, and I wouldn't do it in a first session or a first dream interpretation. But she says, when the ducks had gotten uh, ducklings, they became a family. And you're afraid of your family going away. And so the idea that he's got two families, his work family and his biological family, and he's concerned about his adolescent children going off to college, possibly a dissolution of his marriage, and his work family is always in danger because they're mafia, that there's Mm -hmm. actually people out there trying to kill them off. Sets up the whole, what is it, eight episodes? (laughs) Season? (laughs) Well, yes. And to your point also, it is the media depiction of a dream. But I guess I wanted to use it just uh, as an example of we can go in, in an obvious direction. If you wanted to, like, what does the book say that it means? Or we can go and know, what does it mean to you? And how can we get at something that is a core conflict of something that is really either worrying you or you're ambivalent about? And that maybe it has everything to do with what you're dreaming about. And maybe it's just metaphorical. And, you know, giving that as an example for people, how they might be able to do it on their own, do it for themselves. Oh, oh, oh. So I think the feeling in the dream for Tony was he was, um, I think he was sad. Hmm. Who would have thought? When she, Dr. Melfi offers the intervention, you could call it an interpretation, but I wouldn't. When the ducks had ducklings, they became a family. This had emotional resonance for Tony. Mm-hmm. It affected him deeply and it hit a resonance that was heartfelt and not intellectual. Mm-hmm. And that is the biggest piece of information that we can have. That's what helps us so much. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. So you make a really good point. This is something that is across the board with this way of thinking, you know, anything psychoanalytic related is that we can have these intellectual conversations till the end of time. And if we don't bring it back to our emotional experience, then it's simply an intellectual conversation. Fascinating, sure, but not exactly healing. And so, you know, just sort of like trying to highlight that last piece that you said of what resonates, what actually makes us feel. And that's the thing to stick with. So just in the interest of time, I need to let you go. But this was amazing. And also for, you know, most people to understand that this is sort of like scratching the surface of the idea of dream interpretation. But I'm hoping that this is just really going to be helpful in and of itself for people who are just have dreams. They want to try to understand themselves more. Before I let you go, can you share with our listeners where they can find you? Oh, I have a website, www jenniferanealypsychotherapy.com and the best way to reach me is by calling or texting my phone number 212-242-0231. Amazing. Well, thank you again, Jennifer. This was lovely and such a treat for us.
So thank you. Thank you so much. It is great to see you and hear you. Yes. You made it to the end. Thank you for listening. Every single one of your downloads means so much to me. If this conversation is leaving you wanting more, be sure to sign up for my newsletter. You'll have the opportunity to reply back directly to me over there. Can't wait to see you in your inbox.